Thank you, Sage. Gosh, what what an awesome opportunity. You and your mom are great ambassadors for this. And um, I read um, I read a quote by Ann Voskamp. Um, I think it was something that she posted on her social media. It says, when we remain silent in the face of injustice, we loudly slap the face of God because the person being abused is the face of God. And I, um, I want to make mention of that for a couple of reasons. One, um, when we are serving, whether it is uh, something specific like what Sage talked about at Pine Ridge or um, those uh, through the, the opportunity we have to serve in the garden and the people that are reached in that way, um, we are doing those things um, for God, for him. And uh, it's, a, it's a great way for us to be a part of what Jesus would be doing if he were still walking this, this earth. We, um, I, I know that many of us, all of us feel the brokenness and the weight of the world around us. Um, over the last several weeks, the COVID-19 death toll uh, kept climbing, and then recently it's topped 100,000. Um, and just the heaviness that comes with that, um, not to mention the relational, economic, and emotional ills that this has inflicted. And then um, with this horrible chain of events that began with the injustice um, and the brokenness of segregation in, in regards to George Floyd, we feel this deep brokenness in our country yet again. Um, and how are we to respond to this deep pain? I want to remind us of, uh, of a verse, 2 Chronicles 7.14. Um, in this time when our, uh, when our land is in such need of healing, um, I'm going to post this verse in the chat. Um, you can read it along with me. 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Our world, our land is in need of healing. So before we go any further in our time together, I want to invite you um, to do just what this verse says. And we are going to assume a humble posture in prayer. Um, maybe you want to not just uh, humble yourself um, by calling out to God in prayer with me as I kind of guide us through this. Uh, maybe you want to actually, uh, where you are, get on your knees. And as we come to God, um, we do so with broken hearts, but with open hearts. And so, um, dear Jesus, we, um, we thank you that you stood for us, and you brought healing by laying down your life. And may that paradox become a hallmark of our lives. May we take a stand by sacrificially laying our lives down for the sake of others. Jesus, you walked this earth as the skin-grafted God, 
the human skin grafted God, and may we be incarnations of your love and your healing. So right now, where, where you are, Bay Marin, um, I ask you to breathe life-giving prayers for anyone, everyone currently afflicted with this COVID-19 disease. Ask God for his healing touch. Take a moment and lift up uh, doctors and nurses, those frontline heroes who care for the sick. Ask for God's protective hand to be over them. Lift up by name, or maybe just recall the individual faces of people that you know who are essential workers. You may not know their name, but these are the people that you've seen uh, that have enabled you to keep going. Um, pray for their protection and strength, not just on them, but also on their families that they go home to. And then... Ask God to heal our land, whether by a vaccine or a miraculous wave of God's hand. Ask God to heal the diseased and the diseased in our world. And then our thoughts turn to the family and the close friends of George Floyd. And unfortunately, he is one of many who have suffered um, and who have died unjustly. And we have no words to adequately express our sympathy and our condolences, but we call on the Spirit to interpret the groans, the deep groans that we have. And so as you are seated, as you are kneeling, um, would you hold up George Floyd's family to God right now? Imagine holding them close to the chest of God so that they can hear God's heartbeat of compassion. His heartbeat, not just because he's close, but because they are one created in his image. And then we, as a local body of a church, um, I want us to pray for the Big C Church, the one united by Christ church that's in and around Minneapolis. Let's pray for God to strengthen them for the long road ahead and to be an active leader in bringing healing and reconciliation to that city. And then just uh, in general, would you pray for justice to be served? It is God's desire for everyone to be brought to repentance. So pray specifically for those who have sinned and done evil in the sight of God, um, that they would be convicted and that they would um, confess their sins to God. Lord, may we as a church, may we as your church, your body and presence in this world, Lord, I ask that we would be a voice for the voiceless, 
that we as a local community uh, known as Bay Marin Community Church, may we stand for the, down, for the downtrodden. May we raise our hands for those whose arms are unlawfully bound behind their backs. Great incarnating God, do not let us stop short of incarnating with our neighbors, incarnating your love in our neighborhoods with the lives of all who you bring into our worlds. We pray this in the name of Jesus. We cry out and we say, may these things be so. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We ask you to heal our land. Amen. Amen. I know that many of you have been praying, and may this be just an ongoing prayer. May our hearts continually be moved, and may one of our first responses always be to take these cares, these anxieties, uh, to God in prayer. So there have been some things um, in this in this process that we are in, the, the phases of reopening across the country, um, within our state of California, within our county of Marin, and guidelines have been set forth. And I didn't mention our leaders in, in that time of prayer, but I do hope that you join me in remembering those who are making big decisions that impact literally millions of people. Um, what a what a tremendous weight of responsibility on them. I don't envy those decision makers in any way, um, but I pray that uh, God is using them and and leading us in that. Um, so no doubt you have seen uh, lists of what is considered essential and what is considered non-essential. And the church, at least specifically talking about gathering together as a church, is in the category of non-essential. It's been, that's how it's been relegated. And this, this status of non-essential is not something that was created by COVID-19, but um, I want us to consider what, what is this telling us? Um, this has been exposed by COVID-19, not created or caused by COVID-19. Um, the truth of the matter is that the perceived value of the local church is on par with nail salons and movie theaters. Now, according to key decision makers, golf courses and liquor stores are more necessary, essential, than church gatherings. Now, we as the body of Christ can biblically support our claim as essential, uh, but I think it would be very worthwhile to ask ourselves, and, and just over the next few minutes, I want, I want us to ask ourselves some really tough questions. Um, to ask ourselves why the community around us, why would they have a take-it-or-leave-it mindset towards church gathering? And it's not just the unchurched community that maybe has that, but why do even many Christians see church gatherings as optional? See church gatherings as nice, but not always necessary. 
can we kind of go there for just a few minutes today? Um, the word for church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia, and it was originally a civic term, a public kind of city government term that referred to a group of people who were called out into a public gathering place. That word ecclesia literally translates as called out. And it's a group of people who were called out of a private life into a public life for the good of the city. And this is a term that is adopted, this civic term is adopted in scripture to describe the church, the people of God who are called out. Um, Sunday church attendance in recent decades, and if we're, and I'm kind of looking more at the kind of the westernized, Americanized church, Sunday church attendance in recent, dec in recent decades has grown to be viewed as, and I, I read this quote in, uh, in an online article that I thought was rather poignant. I'm going to um, put that quote in the chat feature as I read it. Um, church attendance has grown to be viewed as an optional enhancement to a personally curated spiritual path. Now, speaking to those of us who would consider ourselves Christians, those inside the church, um, church was never intended to be just a nice-to-have part of a self-styled spiritual journey. Um, choosing what church to attend was never intended to be like curating a list of your favorite songs on Spotify. In Matthew 16... Jesus did not call people to comfort and convenience. He called them to deny themselves. Um, in Luke 14, this is one of several times that Jesus challenges us with some really, um, really hard things. And he says, take up your cross and follow him. Jesus repeatedly invites people to radical fellowship. And he warned them to count the cost because following Jesus would cost them. And Jesus preached the opposite of self-styled spirituality. He, Jesus said that he personally is the way, the truth, and the life. And when it comes to church, we don't call the shots. Colossians 1.18 says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And just to be clear, Jesus, as the head of the body, that doesn't mean that those of us in church leadership are the neck, and we get to turn Jesus whatever directions we want. Um, this is his church, and it's about him, and we place ourselves in his care um, so that we can be um, the called out, the ecclesia, so that we can be the good that he wants to do in the world. So... Essential, non-essential, um, when I think of the term, the body of Christ, um, I, in a weird way, I think, are we as a church like really like an appendix? Can we be removed from the community without it impacting the life and health of the community? So here's a, a question I want to pose, and this is a, a big question 
that I would like for you to consider answering in the chat feature. And the challenge is going to be for you to answer this in a, in a word or a short phrase. But um, here is the question. What is the church's purpose that is so essential? What is the church's purpose that is so essential? Now, I mean in this more than just um, a Sunday get-together in a building, um, but what is, the, what is the, the purpose that is so essential for us as followers of Jesus coming together? And I'm going to read a few of these. There's going to be, I, I know there's going to be a lot of great responses to this. And we're going to look at a passage in Ephesians that um, gives us an example of, of, of what I'm sure is going to be coming up here. Um, to give people hope and meaning and direction. That was from Mary Beth. Thank you. That's great. Um, fellowship. Yes, there's just this uniqueness that we have. Spiritual health, encouraging each other to love and good works. Community, another way of wording that fellowship piece. To be Jesus to the world. I love that. To give love. Yeah, that's so action-oriented. It's not just something that we say. We are offering that. To gather and praise God. Yeah, it takes the reflection. It takes our eyes off of us. Um, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to promote Christianity. For, yeah, so we're, we're saying this is not just something for us. We want other people to experience this. Feeling love and community with God and friends to bring hope and healing, to be equipped to reach our community. We are healed, and then we are instruments of healing. Yeah, I'd like, love that. Thank you, Cashy. That, um, that's also uh, Henry Nowen talks about how we are wounded healers. What else is it about the church that is so essential? Love intentionally, making disciples. Um, we are a moral compass in this world, a place where we can learn to serve him better. Accountability and to learn how to walk the walk with Jesus. To pray and stand in the gap for our neighbors to be God's physical presence in the world. So many of these are, are great, but it may be just in, um, just in beginning to think about this. If you find yourself in a conversation with someone who says, so what is the church's purpose that is so essential? Can, can we acknowledge that's not an easy question to answer in a succinct way? Um, every one of those answers is, is, is so important and so spot on. So thank you for, the, for that. Um, I want us to look at a passage in Ephesians 3. Just a few short verses. I'm going to begin in verse 7. And some of these verses I will put in the chat feature um, as, as I get to them. But if you have your Bible or a Bible app, I would encourage you to look this up. This is one of this is a, a portion of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. So he's writing to the church. And he says, he begins with just a very humble confession in verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel 
of the good news by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Paul says, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. In other words, what he is doing here is um, Paul is preaching one message to a very diverse crowd. This is not just for um, a, a chosen single generation, uh, uh, single race of people. This is for all people. And so he is reaching outside and he is pulling people together, preaching this message of good news, the boundless riches of Christ. Verse 9, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. I'm going to put the next two verses in the chat feature so uh, it will help, hopefully with the um, understanding that we have here of this verse, as you can read it yourself, his intent was that now through the church, the ecclesia, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's kind of break this down. That's not like, what in the world? If if Paul were here and he were to answer that question using this portion of his letter, um, and he put that in the chat feature, we would probably be like, wait a minute, what is what is he talking about here? The church, the called out, the people of God, the collection of saints, the followers of Jesus, that church is intended to do something so absolutely incredible that even the heavenly beings of angels take note. Are you picking up on this? This is when we are doing what we are created to do, what we were intended to do. It is such a great work that the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, and we read about that, um, about this unseen reality, these heavenly beings, these angels, we read about them in, in Revelation and other places in Scripture. But God is inviting us to do something so absolutely incredible that even those beings that are continually in the presence of God take note of what is happening in the church. So what is it then that the church is making known? His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Let me describe it to you this way. This, this phrase, manifold wisdom of God, that word manifold means many-colored, the many-colored wisdom of God. So I'm going to paint a few pictures for you here, and keep in mind that what we're talking about is something that is so powerful, that is so wow, that not just earthly people, but the heavenly beings take note when the church does this. So let me explain a couple of things here um, to help us understand, to wrap our minds around a, a way from our earthly perspective that we can understand the many-colored wisdom of God. Um, I didn't know this, but white light, just a, a light, is actually a mixture of all colors of light. 
And we, we can't see it with the naked eye, but this mixture can be split into many colors when we use a transparent block called a prism. Not a prison, <laughs> a prism, P-R-I-S-M. Prisms, and you're familiar with these, you may not have known the science behind it, but prisms are shaped so that light bends as it passes through it. And some colors bend more than others as they pass through the prism. And so they separate into the individual bands of color characteristic of a rainbow. So begin to imagine it this way. Um, Jonathan, if you could share a, uh, an image uh, with your computer. We already had somebody on the chat feature guess it. Yeah, this is it right here. It is the picture of a beam of light going into the prism, and on the other side is this spectrum, the full spectrum of colors that are concealed in that light. Um, so this is the, the album cover for Pink Floyd. Um, anyone, feel free to chime in uh, on the title of this Pink Floyd album. Um, it came out in 1973. I had to Google that. Um, but uh, this Pink Floyd album, uh, The Dark Side of the Moon, has on this, this is a picture of light as it enters into a prism, and on the other side is the many colors of that. The manifold wisdom of God, the multicolored, many-colored wisdom of God. So here's my point. The church is a prism that reveals the many colors of God's great wisdom. A prism does not contain all the colors. It reveals all the colors. In other words, uh, I think it's important for us to understand this is one reason that the church, the gathering of people, is so essential is because no single person with his or her self-styled spirituality can reveal God's manifold wisdom. It takes a church. It takes all of us together to be that prism that reveals the many colors of God's great wisdom. So what happens if we were to choose the pathway of an individualized, privatized faith? What, if, what happens if we were to settle for something like, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, I don't need the church. I'm just going to I'm going to listen to some good Christian music and I'm going to catch some podcasts and I'm just kind of doing this on my own. Um, what happens when that happens? <laughs> what happens to the world? Well, the world misses out on the multicolored splendor of God's transcendent wisdom. Why are we essential? Because we are the way that God chose to display his transcendent wisdom in all of its myriad of colors. As risky as it is, God chooses the church, his gathered people, to be a prism through whom his light would shine on the world. Which leads me to this question, what do the colors of God's wisdom look like? Now, wisdom, 
as I'm sure you are aware, is farther reaching than facts or information-based knowledge. Wisdom is the profound application of knowledge and information. You can Google knowledge, but we are told that wisdom comes from above. It comes from God. James 3, verses 14 and 17. I'd like for you to read these with me. James is talking about wisdom and the source of wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom the wisdom that comes from heaven, again, this is coming from above, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Let me read through that again. This is giving us a picture of the colors of wisdom as God's light shines through the church, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Let me use um, a different metaphor um, to help us understand colors. Uh, the next time you walk through the paint department of a hardware store, check out all the color swatches There'll be a, like a large shelf, a bank of a bunch of those cards that have color swatches. And on each of those color swatches with just the subtle differences in shading from one to the next, they give a name to each of the unique shades of each color. You notice that they give names to those. You don't ever pick up a swatch and the paint is called blue or the paint is called yellow. They, they give it a... a an interesting name. Now, I'm not sure exactly how they come up with it, uh, but each subtle shade has its own name given to a specific and unique hue. And it's almost like these names are designed to stir your imagination. So you're not simply choosing paint for your walls. It's like you're choosing a personality for a room. Now, so I went on, on the Bear Paint website and um, just typed in blue, and these are just a small sampling of the names of the shades of blue paint in the bare paint line. Um, Fiji, Drip, Aqua Fresco, Beachside, Tahitian Sky, Deep Breath. Can you imagine picking up these different little cards that have different colors, slightly variations, slight variations of blue. And those are some of the names, Fiji, Drip, Beachside, Tahitian Sky, Deep Breath. Let me go back to James 3.17. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, these are the names for the colors of God's wisdom. Are you ready? Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. In a different section of Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. That is, 
our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. When the broken, disillusioned, dark side of the earth cries out for the light of God, the church is God's chosen way to reveal himself. What names has God given to the colors of his wisdom? I put that list, drawing from those two passages of Scripture in James and in 1 Corinthians. I put that list in the chat feature. The names that God has given to the colors of his wisdom that he wants the world to see, that the world won't see if we slink back into some type of a privatized faith. No, when we come together as a church and God shines his light, the world sees pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, mercy, full, good fruit, impartial, sincere, righteous, holy, redemption. This is what I want you to hear. You are that paint swatch who, when God's light shines through his church, the world sees a spectrum of colors. They see your unique spectrum of God. And the church is like a prism, but also the church is like that wall of color swatches at the paint store. Curiously drawn to a particular hue of God's wisdom, the world holds up, holds up a Christian to the light in order to re read that unique color of God's wisdom that you are. And when the world looks at you, a named swatch of God's wisdom, a portion of the prism of church, do they see pure? Let's think through some of these names of the paint colors, of, of the colors of God's wisdom. Does the world with, with outsiders consider what it would be like to repaint their life in good fruit or an accent wall of impartial. What if your neighbor who has never been, <coughs> excuse me, what if your neighbor who has never been in a church building discovers through their friendship with you how a single coat of merciful changes the feel of the entire room? Could a skeptic maybe, just maybe, start off by buying a pint-sized sample of holiness to try in a hidden area? What if the proud overachievers saw the beauty of your baseboards in the color submissive? What if sincere is like a primer? Sincere is a base coat for every conversation you engage in. How about those hidden closets? We all have hidden closets, don't we? But what if we opened the doors to hidden closets and we painted them redemption? How thrilling to discover that redemption is so thick that it only takes one coat to cover our past. And then dream this beautiful dream with me. What if our children woke up to a brighter tomorrow because we today began rolling on peace loving? with everyone we, may, we meet. The church is essential. The gathered body of Christ is essential because without it, the world cannot see the multicolored splendor of the wisdom of God. Without the church, 
people live on the colorless dark side of the earth. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In other words, Jesus is the only one who has ever walked this earth and in and of himself was a prism that displayed the Father's manifold wisdom. None of us by ourselves can do that. That's why we come together as the body of Christ, where the fullness of the deity lives and in us, shines through us. Jesus, in one of several shocking things that he said, uh, one of the things that he said that does not fit neatly within a self-styled spirituality or a convenient Christianity, he says this in John 6, he declares, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What? How crazy is that? Well, he is talking about in a very powerful way, describing in a vivid way, how our sustenance is found beyond the food and drink of this world. It's a symbol. When we partake of communion, and that's what we're, we're going to, I want to invite you to do now, to take the bread and the cup of juice that you have chosen. This is a symbol. It's an outward act that mirrors an inward reality. We take bread and wine. We take and eat. We take and drink. Not literally his flesh, not literally his blood. These symbols of the life that we have because of Christ. So if you will, with me, take the bread. This bread represents Jesus' flesh, which he gave for the life of the world. Take and eat. And this cup represents Jesus' shed blood that atones for all the wrong and evil and sin of this world we take and we drink. Let me pray for us, um, thanking God for his son, for his sacrifice. And then Tom and Kat and Lucas are going to lead us in a song that talks about how Christ is this cornerstone of the church. He is this key part um, that is irreplaceable when we come together as a church. Father, um, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son. Lord, the to kind of use the, the phrase consumer Christianity, the consumer Christianity that you have called us to is to consume this life of Christ. It's all about you. Lord, you have challenged us in your word with some very um, difficult things. Um, but we know that following this path that you have outlined for us is truly the path to life. Lord, we want to come together because we believe that your, your purpose, your intention through us as a church is to reveal your multi 
colored wisdom to the world. May your light shine through us. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.